The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers. You've been warned. No, seriously, they're, they're spoilers and, and foul language. Yeah. Welcome to $20 Ticket, where we tell you how much we would pay to watch Good Time. My name is Kerwin, and joining me today is Jason. What up, Jason? Not much. How about you, Kerwin? I'm good, man. What are you drinking today? Some ice cold Coors Light. All right, cool. Uh, joining us today is uh, Dominic. What up, Dominic? What is up, Kerwin? Uh, what are you drinking today? A nice frost Gatorade. Uh, making his debut on our review episode. Uh, you know, you've heard him on uh, the Marvel podcast. We got Justin in the building. What up, Justin? What up, Kerwin? I'm um, just chilling, man. What are you drinking today? Some nice classic H2O. I love it. Making his debut on the $20 Ticket Podcast is Ricky. What up, Ricky? What up, Kerwin? What are you drinking today? A nice cold Coors Light. All right. So uh, today we're talking about good time. Kerwin, release. are you not drinking anything? Uh, I'm really not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the episode's ruined. <laughs> that was good time. I'll, I'll, <laughs> we'll, uh, Would you like something? <laughs> nah, I'm, I'm good for now, man, but uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, so today uh, we are talking about Good Time, released August 11th, 2017. It's produced by Alara Pictures and Rhea Films, and it's distributed by A24. It stars Robert Pattinson, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, Benny Safdi, Barkat Abdi, Buddy Duress, and Talia Webster. It's directed by Josh Safdie and Benny Safdie, and it's written by Ronald Bronstein and Josh Safdie. So before we get into behind the scenes, Dominic, why don't you hit us with the financials? Okay, so it premiered August 11, 2017. Uh, limited release date in only select theaters. Uh, made approximately 125000 And then two weeks later, it had a wide release screening. And that grossed about 586 domestically. So over the time of 13 and a half weeks in theaters, domestically it made 2 mil. And I saw another number approximately saying the same thing. Internationally, it made approximately the same for worldwide combined of four mil. Uh, Jason, why don't you tell us what the people thought of this movie? Uh, so on Rotten Tomatoes, critics gave it a 92%, so I feel like that's pretty high for critics. Uh, average rating, so 92% of critics liked it. Average rating was a 7.64 out of 10 with 209 fresh reviews and 19 rotten. The audience was at 80%, so 80% of the audience gave it a 3.5 or above. So uh, again, this is kind of weird. Typically you see that you know the critics are lower than the audience. The audience typically gives movies a higher rating, but here that's not the case. Um, we look at IMDb, uh, average rating was a 7.3 out of 10 with about 55,000 votes. Uh, I pulled the demos again from IMDb. You know, Again, overall it was a 7.3. The highest was actually Males under 18 gave it an 8.1. So some of the other movies we've been doing recently, uh, typically it's the females under 18 that are giving it the highest rating. Uh, and now again, there's 36,000 reviews by males and only 96 of those were under 18 giving it an 8.1. So it is a little skewed. We look at 45 and above, that average rating was 6.7, so slightly lower. But I mean, overall, the average you know between all males and females is relatively around 7.3, so. Do you think it had to do with like the type of movie it was, like the genre, why males give it? I don't, maybe males under 18, they're more familiar with Twilight, and they like seeing Robert Pattinson in the <laughs> world outside of that. Exactly, yeah. That's kind of where my mind goes, I don't know. Because uh, then you look at the 18 to 29 demo in males, and it's a 7.6. So it's still above the average, but, you know, I don't know, maybe some of these guys are like, hell yeah, you know, Pattinson could do something besides, you know, 
this Edward character. Yeah, he's not sparkling too much in this movie. But um, yeah, I think uh, I think definitely uh, I guess the genre and the look and feel of the movie kind of plays a part uh, in it. You know, you kind of have like just like this grungy crime movie. I, I guess that just kind of attracts like the young young dudes, maybe. Maybe I mean there there is I mean there's a very distinct difference between his, his character and you know Twilight and this and I. It is very like grungy. I, I, didn't, I didn't see ever see the trailer for this movie, but just watching it, I mean, it has a really distinct, unique kind of gritty feel to it. Yeah. So. yeah. But that's all I got for the for the ratings. Okay. All right. So getting into behind the scenes, uh, let's talk about the development and casting. Uh, on July 9th, twenty fifteen, the Hollywood Reporter reported that directors Josh and Benny Softy would be directing the movie uh, with Robert Pattinson set to star. Uh, the directors uh, are brothers, so uh, Josh and Benny Softy, uh, along with Ronald Bronstein, have written and directed other well-reviewed independent projects. Um, some of those projects are Daddy Long Legs, about a divorced man spending time with his estranged sons. Uh, that's got an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. Lenny Cook, a uh, documentary following the journey of a high-ranked high school basketball player. Uh, that ended up getting an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. And uh, the movie before Good Time that they last worked on is called uh, Heaven Knows What, and it's about a heroin addict who falls in love in New York City. Uh, that also got an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. So overall, these guys have a pretty good track record. Um, as far as the title of the movie, uh, the movie's called Good Time, and I guess Good Time is prison slang for pretty much parole. So you get out of prison, you're under strict rules, or else you go back to jail. I guess that is called Good Time. So you have to behave. Yeah, you pretty much got to behave, otherwise you're going back. Like, you can't break gotcha. any rules. That makes yeah. more sense. I was like, yeah, yeah no, it makes a lot of sense. Was. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. goes full circle now when you look at it. Yeah, because, like, he just gets out of prison, like, right right when this movie starts. So, yeah, I was wondering about that, too. Like, I was like, <laughs> why is it called that? Yeah. yeah so. so, the role of Connie was written specifically for Pattinson. Uh, apparently, Robert Pattinson had reached out to the Softie brothers wishing to work with them only after seeing a poster for Heaven Knows What, their previous movie. No matter what their next project was, he was determined to work with them. And I guess that's the thing that uh, Pattinson has been doing since the Twilight series. He has been reaching out to well-received directors or high-profile directors wanting to work on projects with them. Um, I was listening to the Collider podcast uh, earlier this week, and I guess that's a thing he's done for a lot of his projects. So I think most of the stuff you see him in post-Twilight is something that he really, really went after. You know, let's just talk about it right now. He is going to be our next Batman. Yeah. He specifically reached out to Matt Reeves and really lobbied for this role. So he actually went after the Batman role. It wasn't ever brought to him. So I guess he kind of did the same thing with this. Do you think he has to do that? I think... Do you think I, he's typecasted in a way? I and, think he is. Yeah. Well, in the public eye, because a lot of the films he's been doing lately have been indie, so not a lot of people go to those. Yeah. So I think he wants to get back into like the mainstream like blockbuster but, type but movies. I, but I feel like him reaching out... I mean, yeah, they're indie, but I mean, he has to reach out to these people as opposed to being sought after, because I think yeah. he is kind of typecasted as that, so he has to make an effort on his own to... Do that. Yeah, I mean, we, I don't saw, know. we saw people's response to like the news of him, and people oh, still yeah, refer to him as the Twilight guy. But and I think that's the thing too. Like even when you look at you know like a Heath Ledger being cast as the Joker, you know yeah. there's so much backlash about that. When you saw you know Chris Evans as Captain America, so much backlash. I think you can kind of get stuck in a role like you're saying, Jason. Like you can be typecast. Kind of going off on a little tangent, but look at the the new Star Wars actors. Like right after Force Awakens came out, Daisy Ridley and John Boyega immediately went to doing like smaller, more dramatic films, so that they wouldn't forever be thought of as you know Finn and Rey. You know, yeah. so they wouldn't be stuck as those roles only. I think that's a smart move on his part, and I and I 100% agree. I think it does have to do a lot with 
the Twilight reputation. I'm not going to say it gives him a bad rap, but I think it makes people more dismissive to his acting abilities to be in like a young adult adaptation. Who's that guy from American Pie? Fucking Sean William Scott? Stifler? Stifler, right? yeah, yeah. Him. He's been typecast. Oh, yeah, because yeah, uh, he, was, he was in Goon, right? Like, and the sequel? Yeah. And then uh, he tried to do like some uh, action movies. I think it was like Bulletproof Monk or whatever with yeah. like Chow Yun Fat was in yeah. that movie. Yeah. I actually like the movie, but. <laughs> but like, even but in the he, action has a, movies. he has like a new slasher thriller coming out with like Bloomhouse. Mm. I think he's kind of taking the same aspect, like trying to reinvent himself. A lot of actors are doing that who've been quote unquote typecast. Yeah, because I feel like when he does the roles, like even in like his action movies, he has always like the comedic relief, so to speak. Yeah. So he's always that one type of person. And then going back to Jason's comment about uh, Robert Pattinson, you know, it seems like he's almost doing like a hard 90 on for dramatic roles. Like he's trying to show, I guess you would say like range, so to speak. Like he has the teen pops. And now he's like, especially in this movie, he's a fucking scumbag, basically. No, but I think uh, especially with him being cast as Batman, finding out that he's like lobbying for these roles, it's it's just really refreshing. I and mean, it's just like anybody you see get the job who really wants to work type of thing. And especially seeing that he's got the talent and the skills, uh, especially as shown in this movie that I'm sure we'll get into. You know, I have very high hopes now for the Batman movie coming out with him. Yeah, I got to agree with that. And uh, one of the directors, Josh Safdie, he says in an interview that he wanted to bring elements of Pattinson's kind of PTSD from the Twilight films into his character. Pattinson is always on the lookout for like paparazzi or fans taking photographs of him. And he kind of noticed that about him as a person. And he wanted to bring that kind of paranoia to this Connie character where he's always afraid of being seen or being watched. So they really took a lot of elements from Pattinson's real life persona and added that to this character which i thought was pretty cool and i think it's pretty interesting that as we're talking about the twilight thing you know that whole experience in his life is actually relevant to the development of his character in this movie yeah, yeah like all relationship kind of like just under the microscope like with uh, kristen stewart and all that and that kind of just blew up yeah and i think she's going through the through the same thing too she's done a lot of uh you know different movies trying to do more dramatic roles and i think now she's kind of finally coming back to doing more mainstream stuff she's doing that charlie's angel movie so yeah we'll see how that goes yeah um as far as preparing for the role you know uh <laughs> trash <laughs> you can't just say that move along <laughs> Jesus. We, we might do that one. um but uh, as far as preparing for the role, uh, Pattinson prepared by visiting shops around New York City and interacting with people from Queens to practice his accent. Um, he would even let some people, including recently released prisoners, read the script out loud so he could listen to it when he went to sleep to kind of get the vibe of how he should be speaking or how it should be said. Apparently, a guy at a donut shop asked him if he was Robert Pattinson and almost recognized him. But Robert Pattinson pretty much lied and said, no, that's not me, but I get that a lot. And once uh, he realized that the guy at the shop believed him, he realized that he was ready for the part. He kind of disappeared into the role. And um, Pattison and Benny Softy, uh, Softy plays uh, Nick in this movie, his brother. They worked in character at a car wash in Queens to test out their brotherly relationship and chemistry. So they would work in character and Benny as Nick would purposefully be distracted and disruptive so that Pattinson could kind of get the experience of having a disabled sibling. So during production, Robert Pattinson lived in a basement apartment in New York where all he did was eat tuna to lose weight for this role. Pattinson said that the entire apartment smelled like rotting fish. Uh, he would never take the trash out and he would sleep in the same clothes that he would act in. So he just really, really got into character. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. 
Um, but after Robert Pattinson was cast, uh, there was a casting call put out on projectcasting.com for roles of Nick, Crystal, and various other minor roles in the movie. Almost everybody in this movie was street cast except for the stars of the film. The directors really wanted to mix Pattinson and the other actors with people who hadn't acted before to add more realness to the to the situations that they were going through. We talked about Nick. He's played by Benny Softy, who's one of the directors and who's actually, I believe, a sound editor and editor on this movie as well. To prepare for their roles as Nick and Connie, Benny and Pattinson would write each other letters in character uh, in order to build up their backstory, specifically with Connie trying to turn Nick against their grandmother, which was a major kind of point in this movie. Talia Webster would go on to play Crystal, uh, the young girl uh, in the neighborhood, the 16-year-old that Connie hooks up with. Let's just be real. <laughs> we're going to talk about that. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about that. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee plays Corey, Pattinson's, uh, I guess, kind of manic girlfriend. And then we got uh, Buddy Duress plays Ray. So Ray is the guy that Connie springs from the hospital, mistaking him for his brother. Buddy Duress is actually a real ex-convict who was locked up in Rikers Island around 2014, 2015. Uh, He actually starred in the Softy Brothers' previous movie, Heaven Knows What, but unfortunately he was locked up on drug charges during the New York Film Festival and wasn't able to see the film when it was released. Buddy got released from prison a few weeks before Good Time started filming. And the movie's title, we talked about Good Time, that's actually taken from a conversation with the directors with Buddy Duress. He kind of talked about how he's going to be out on his good time, and they were so fascinated by kind of his life experience in prison and, you know, a lot of what that meant that they went with Good Time as as the movie's title. I feel like that's real method acting, like actually doing crimes and then going to jail <laughs> and then getting out, literally being on Good Time and being <laughs> what we call Good Time as a character literally just getting out of jail like it's super meta yeah (laughs) that's pretty awesome that's pretty awesome it's a whole new level yeah (laughs) might increase my rating a little bit I don't know (laughs) and I love I love his performance in the movie too and the funny thing is too uh, the guy that plays the psychiatrist in the movie his name is Peter Verby and he's actually a criminal defense lawyer who represented Buddy DeRest in court. Holy shit. Yeah, shit. so he represented him in the past. This has to be really low budget thing. They're just like <laughs> calling all their friends like, hey. It's very all in the family. Yeah, yeah. yeah like they, they kept it like raw for, for a lot of the casting. Um, director Josh Safty got arrested during production for driving with a suspended license. And so Peter Verby actually went on to represent him after the filming of this movie. So he went to represent him in court too. Wow. Yeah. There There's all like homies now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so the guy that plays Khalif, uh, the big dude that is kind of trying to get the, the Sprite bottle mm. with Ray, um, he's actually Necro. Uh, he's a New York rapper, uh, and he's the owner of Psychological Records. He's the younger brother of rapper Ill Bill, and he is associated with or has toured with artists like uh, Insane Clown Posse, Run DMC, Cool Keith, The Beat Nuts, and more. Uh, he actually performed at Rock the Bells in 2009. So anybody from Southern California, you know, if you went to the Orange Show when Rock the Bells was a thing down here, like you might have seen him and uh, his crew. I miss Rock the Bells. I miss it too. Bring that shit back. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, Necro also appears in uh, the Softy Brothers' previous movie, Heaven Knows What. So I feel like they're bringing a lot of people back, uh, which is really cool. A lot of good directors usually have that collaboration process with specific actors. Yeah. So I kind of, I kind of like what these guys are doing. Like. They're doing a lot of street casting, and they keep recasting a lot of these people in their movies, and they have a really good track record. Well, some don't have a good track record with the law, though, because they keep going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, they got that defense lawyer, so that's all, that's all good. Yeah, but finding this out, it really does 
make me want to go back and watch Heaven Knows What to do the comparison and like yeah. the acting and everything. Yeah, and the cool thing about Heaven Knows What, um, you know, we're gonna go off on a little tangent again, but that movie is about a, I believe, a, f- a heroin addict falling in love in the city, and I believe the actress they got to play that role had uh, previous troubles with drug use. So like they they're taking a lot of you know real like reality from people's lives and incorporating that into like they don't even cast yet that like prerequisite rap sheet like <laughs> like nah you ain't, you ain't do time <laughs> can't act it if you ain't done it so we get to the bail bondsman in the movie uh, you know the guy that he goes to trying to get his brother out of jail out of the hospital um, he's a real bail bondsman his name is. <laughs> I'll just, just expect everyone to be yeah. like, it's real. They are exactly. Need a heroin addict. Need a heroin addict. Let's go to the corner. Yeah. So the guy's a real bail bondsman, uh, and his name is uh, Eric Parker, and he owns an office in Queens with his wife Astrid Corrales. Uh, apparently, the original idea was to use his office as a setting for the movie, but the directors were just kind of like, "Hey, do you and your wife just want to be in the movie and just play yourselves?" And they're like, "Yeah, we'll do it." And that's how they ended up in the movie. So that's cool. I mean, well, because like especially you know, ostensibly he's got no acting experience, but he played that role exactly well, just doing what he normally does, like one hundred percent. It's funny too because when you look at the acting in this movie, and we'll get into this in Trash or Treasure, like I never would have thought that half of these people were just cast off the street the way they were. Yeah, me neither. Like, I would have never guessed that that was a real Bales Bondsman. I would have thought for sure that they, you know, pulled him from somewhere, yeah. whether it was prison or off the street or something. Yeah, because I thought all the performances in this movie were, were fucking great, and to find out that it's these people that have lived these real experiences makes this movie a whole lot better, kind of once you dig behind the scenes. It makes it more almost authentic, so to speak. It changes everything. Completely changes everything. Yeah, and I appreciate that too because these guys, they talk about how um, they had to film a lot of stuff guerrilla style without crews and all that other stuff. And I think, Dominic, you and I were talking earlier about how they had never dealt with official production crew until Robert Pattinson got involved. I guess his star power allowed them to have that kind of stuff on set. This is weird. They didn't have a script supervisor. They were just kind of winging it almost. Yeah, but I do appreciate that they're kind of sticking to their roots, kind of like what you're saying, Ricky. Like They've evolved as filmmakers, but they still kind of operate in the same way, always putting that authenticity first, which I appreciate. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because I think it speaks to their talent as directors, because especially I think the fear would be casting people off the street that once you get them in front of the camera, they would start like acting or pretending or something or freeze up. So I think it, again, just speaks to them being able to talk to people or get convincing performance out of them, even if it is just acting natural. Even acting natural is hard in front of a camera, I would imagine. So getting into the production of this movie, uh, production on this movie took place in New York and lasted about 35 days. Most of this movie was shot at night, so the cast and crew would sleep during the day and work at night, pretty much. Uh, The Softy brothers operated on a uh, seek forgiveness, not permission mentality while filming. Uh, If they got one block shut down to film, they would take the opportunity to keep shooting and kind of pushing the boundaries. So they would get one block and they push for five blocks just to see how far they could get. The scene where Connie sneaks into the hospital was at an actual active emergency room with real patients and real hospital staff. They used real police officers for the mall chase scene, and they filmed it during actual business hours to get real reactions from all the patrons. So wait, wait, did they commit the crime just to get the office? <laughs> no, no, they didn't. But there were some people that thought it was a real chase and actually tried to stop the cops from getting Robert Pattinson. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, so like they were getting some the major Twilight way. fans in that mall. <laughs> yeah, um, 
they actually had the option of shutting down entire sections of the mall so that they could film, but they told the cops, they were just like, hey, you know what? Let's just let's just film it anyway. We'll have all these people here. And the cops were like, are you, are you sure about this? And I'm like, yeah, we'll just, we'll just film during regular business hours. And the cops' only advice was just don't hit anybody. And that was pretty <laughs> much it. And they got to do whatever they wanted. They shot the chase scene uh, in multiple takes, and each take had new unsuspecting people in it. The directors kind of enjoyed the idea that these people, kind of these unknowns that are extras in their movies, would be able to walk away with some crazy story about some dude getting chased through the mall. So how does that work? Do they have to get permission from everyone to like use their face? That's that's the thing that I want to know too, because I think like if people show up in frame and they're clearly visible and they don't know that they're in a movie, yeah. do they have to sign Especially like some consent? Like a public form? place, right? You yeah, because yeah. you see that in TV shows all the time where faces will be blurred out when public shots or when they're running a skit or a joke or something. Maybe like uh, they're out of focus enough to where they don't have to have them sign anything. Is it like know. a duration thing? Like, oh, if they're on screen for like five seconds, they have to be notified? Like, okay. No idea. In the movie. And the thing is, too, is like usually you'll have like signage. Maybe there's signage. They did it that way where oh. it's kind of like an opt out or opt in where it just says like, hey, there is filming taking place. You might be on camera, but they just probably didn't tell people what they'd be experiencing. Maybe. That's yeah. the only thing I could think of possibly. It's either that or you have someone like outside the mall and as you enter, you like sign a release or something I don't know how they would do that besides like posting a sign or something yeah, yeah. especially when you think about the people that are like trying to stop the cops like <laughs> what <laughs> what might have happened you know like they could have just been like oh I tried to stop a cop and I got hurt and now that I know you're making a movie I could sue you people might be like that I don't know the subway scene was also shot during rush hour with real passengers in order to keep themselves kind of hidden so that people didn't know they were filming a movie they would actually direct uh, Robert Pattinson via text message and tell him how to act. So they would shoot it guerrilla style with all these people on the subway and they'd just be like, hey, you know, do that takeover. Hey, do this. Hey, look this way. But they would direct him all via text message. Um, the very first scene where uh, Connie breaks Nick out of his therapy session at the very beginning of the movie, uh, that was shot in a real hospital with uh, actual um, mentally handicapped individuals. In this particular scene, Pattinson was directed to make the comment about Nick not being, quote, like them. You know, when he's kind of like escorting him out and saying like, hey, you're not like these people. You know, is that what you think of yourself? Pattinson objected because he couldn't imagine saying that about, um, you know, mentally handicapped individuals. But the director put it out saying that, you know, this guy is so narcissistic. The narcissism bleeds into his brother where he sees himself as above all. He wants his brother to see himself as above all. And I, I think that's just part of the character. And, and when you think about it that way, yeah, you're acting, that makes sense, but you know, you do kind of appreciate Pattinson not getting so into his character that he's not above questioning the lines that he's saying. I don't want to say that. Yeah. <laughs> it would 100% be in line with what his character would yeah. say. Like, Robert Pattinson is still a human being, not this character. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, like he, he took the time to like actually say like, should I be saying this? Should I be doing this? Right. Yeah. Um, the flashback scene where Ray jumps out of the moving cab that actually happened to the actor Buddy Duress in real life um, <laughs> just reenacted it <laughs> yeah uh, he did lose his wallet and his taxi driver threatened to take him to the precinct so he jumped out of the speeding car so you're gonna find out that a lot of this movie is taken from a lot of Buddy Duress's like actual Look experiences it, like based on a true story or based on true stories yeah, or events yeah you could I mean he's worked with them in the past I mean like he's probably got a lot of interesting stories to tell about his life in and out of prison so I could totally 100% believe that these guys are taking a lot from his life experience which is pretty cool like we were talking about the authenticity of it all 
All right, so the cinematographer for this film is uh, Sean Price Williams. Uh, he's worked on films like One Man Dies a Million Times and Eyes Find Eyes. So nothing major that we might know about, but he has worked on a lot of like foreign and independent films. He got the opportunity to shoot on 35 millimeter, and he really liked it because he got to get that really grainy and gritty look, and he really wanted to go for that nostalgic old school movie feel. Um, he says that after the bank heist scene takes place, he really tried his best to kind of create this psychedelic, nightmarish look for the rest of the film. After Nick gets caught up by the cops outside the mall, the movie really like takes a trip on the visual side. The music in this film was done by Daniel Lopatin. Lopatin? I don't know his name. Sorry, Daniel. Uh, his artist name is uh, Aniothrix Point Never. Uh, he's an uh, experimental electronic artist. In addition to his own work, he's collaborated with artists like uh, FKA Twigs and DuckTales. He also did the film score for The Bling Ring. According to a Fader interview, he got involved after the Safdie brothers sent him a mood board of like crazy images, including things like SpongeBob and heist imagery, like people robbing people and shit. When he saw the mood board, he said, quote, this is exactly the type of weird shit I'm into. So that was, that was pretty cool. SpongeBob and robberies. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, they got Iggy Pop to provide the vocals for the last scene of the movie uh, on a song titled uh, The Pure and the Damned. So I think it's when uh, Nick is being asked questions. Well, I, th- I think it was when they were like, oh, walk across the room or cross the room if you've ever right. done XYZ. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah, as the uh, credits start to play. Yeah, so you've got his vocals over that last track. And then uh, the Good Time soundtrack actually won Best Soundtrack at the Cannes Film Festival. It's pretty good. Yeah, so the movie got released. It was uh, pretty well received. Got a like a six-minute standing ovation at Cannes Film Festival. Didn't do a lot at the box office, you know, like most independent films. But it is kind of widely regarded as a really, really great movie. But yeah, that's pretty much it for this film. Uh, so let's get into our experience. Jason, why don't you tell us about your experience with this movie? All right. Well, I had never heard of this movie until Kerwin suggested that we review this. So um, I looked it up. And of course, when I saw Robert Pattinson, I was a little nervous to watch this because all I really know him from personally is Twilight, which I've never seen. So um, You've never seen Twilight? Never seen one of them. No, no. Uh, wow. Not yeah. one? Really? Not even one. Not even Breaking Dawn? Not even two. <laughs> Not even none of them. So... Sounds like Kerwin wants to do Twilight next. Um, bro, I'm so down to do Twilight. Uh, but that's what's so crazy is in Twilight, his acting is so fucking bad. Like, it's not good at all. Yeah. And this is just completely different. Like, it's just crazy. Again, I remember all the rave about it. I think my sister really enjoyed it. I know a lot of people really enjoyed those movies, but you know, I just kind of saw him as that character. And again, we were talking about the typecasting earlier. That's what I kind of thought when Kerwin brought this movie up. And I'm like... All right, and again, like I said earlier, I did not see even a, a trailer for this. So when you suggested, I was kind of nervous, but so I waited till I think it was like Wednesday night, and I watched it. It was on Amazon. I sat down. I think my girlfriend wanted to hang out that night. I think Elizabeth wanted to come over, but I was like, you know what? I don't know how this movie's gonna be. <laughs> I'm gonna try to save you some punishment. And when just he, just stay. When he brought it up, did you think it was like maybe gonna be a romance movie? I didn't know it was gonna be a romance. I almost thought it was a goof for a second. I really didn't know anything about the movie, but it's like, it's called Good Time. You can't get much from like the the image they have with the title, but just him in it, I'm just like, I honestly had no idea what to expect. All I know is like, I didn't have high hopes going into this. Um, but yeah, I so saw it was on Amazon. It was one I didn't have to pay to rent, so that was a blessing. 
But no, I, I watched it. Uh, I paused it a few times. I rewound it to, to watch some different things. I mean, I'll get into you know what I like and didn't like about it. But I mean, you know, it it was it was. You know, there's no interruptions, no crazy people in the theater. I watched it at home, so it was it was a good experience. But I was definitely nervous going into watching it. But I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. Speaking of uh, Twilight, remember uh, E.L. James, like Twilight, author of Fifty Shades? Oh, yeah. That should tell you something. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Dominic, tell us your experience with this movie. Pretty much the same. Uh, I think we all talked about it in the podcast. We were like, okay, Robert Pattinson's been cast as Batman. So uh, we've been hearing buzz around his name, around the surrounding these movies, like Good Time and High Life and stuff like that. So we're just like, okay, we got we to gotta take our time and watch these and see if Warner Brothers made a good choice in casting him. So we decided to review it, went home, saw it was on Amazon Prime for free. And so I, I watched it and I was like... I liked it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a movie. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Ricky, what's your experience with this movie? It's kind of similar to Jason's. When you told me we were going to review this movie, immediately I Googled it and I saw Robert Pattinson and, you know, I was just kind of like, fuck, Kerwin's fucking with me. Like, this, <laughs> this, this, this is going to be on like podcast for a goddamn rom-com. But then I saw the, the picture of it and it, this is going to sound stupid, but the picture, the main uh, header had him in a Mark Echo jacket running. And I mean, I really live with the Inland Empire, so tell me the kind of people you see wearing Mark Echo still these yeah. days. They're, not, they're, they're always n- running. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> running from something. So they're not the best of people. So I was like, eh, fuck it, it's a good movie. So I tried watching it last week, and I have two kids at home, so I mean, I don't remember how long the movie was per se, but it took me about four hours to watch it because I had two kids asking questions every five seconds, one of them being my girlfriend. And <laughs> it's just, you know, why is he running? Why is it just like, oh, dude, come on, shut up. Let me watch the movie. So I didn't really appreciate it, I think, the first time. So I watched it again last night. And watching it a second time, kind of just, you know, depreciating Robert Pattinson as the character, you know, it's just, you know, I'll get into the trash and treasures as we go on further. But just watching it again, taking a step back uninterrupted with some popcorn, just really watching it, you really do appreciate the filmmaking. I just got to add that when Kerwin said good time, when he texted me, oh, we're going to do a good time, I kept thinking of bad times at the El Royale. And I'm like, no, Kerwin. I was thinking in my head, like, no, it's bad times. It's not good times. <laughs> I think now I was hoping it was. Yeah, that was time. that was the movie we were supposed to do today. But Yeah, I was like, no, it's bad times. <laughs> this is a movie. I had to add that. I'm sorry. Yeah, thanks, Erica. <laughs> the yeah. first three times I Googled it, my autocorrect switched it to good times. The TV show. The TV show. show? Like, <laughs> I was like, wait. Like, he thought I was fucking with me because I've been asking forever to be on the podcast and I was like good times like it's really we're gonna do a fucking TV show and then, and then I saw Robert Pattinson just like god damn it like it just didn't get any better kind of hoping for that TV show huh <laughs> yeah yeah like, can we do the TV show please? <laughs> all right Justin what's your experience with this movie uh, more or less the same as everyone else's. I had uh, heard of it when the news announced that Pattinson was going to be Batman. This was, like Dom said, was one of the two movies everyone was citing to defend him as an actor. I think on Thursday I got the text that we were going to do it. And funny enough, because I you've given me privy to your podcast notes, I thought the same thing. Like, is it the El Royale movies? <laughs> but then I look like, oh, no, 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 it's good time. Okay, that makes more sense. Um, so yeah, I watched it that Thursday. It just kind of worked out that you got me like right when I woke up. I had some time before work. Was able to get through it, and uh, no, yeah, it was. Um, it's very, it's one hundred percent in what it's supposed to be. Like you said, we live in the IE, and very much I see, like I one hundred percent see these people. I'm like, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Like they're nailing it. Like I, I think like those people are. I can go down the block down East Street and go find them. <laughs> All right, uh, my experience with this movie, uh, I do remember seeing, not a trailer for this movie, but I do remember seeing like posters and imagery online for it. I do remember like a couple podcasts I listened to talking about it as far as like Robert Pattinson really venturing off on the other end of the 
spectrum from like his work in Twilight. Definitely trying to get into like grittier, more nuanced, in-depth character roles. So I knew this movie from that. And I believe like I spoke to Dominic about this movie when it came out. Like it was one of the movies we kind of discussed but never watched. We talked about we were supposed to do Bad Times at the El Royale today. uh, But a couple of our uh, teammates got a little busy this weekend. You know, no problems with that. So, you know, I just said, hey, let's just do this smaller movie. Let's just see how it is. The guy has been cast as Batman. I want to see, you know, what kind of acting chops he has. And I hadn't seen him in any other movies other than the Twilight movies that I was forced to watch. <laughs> Have you no seen judgment the, here. No judgment. Have you seen the 9-11 one? The Remember Me one? I haven't seen that. And then there was like a carnival one he was in. I mean, it wasn't bad, but... I still oh, had the wait, wait, I did see the carnival one with yeah. like an elephant or something. Yeah, or? something like that. Yeah, I still yeah. had the taste of Twilight in my, in my mouth, but... It's not the, what, the, the taste of what in your mouth? Uh, uh, <laughs> a stench. I'll go stench. Okay. <laughs> I was actually planning on uh, watching this movie either way, but once a couple of our people dropped out, I was just like, hey, you know, why don't we just review this this weekend since I'm going to watch it anyway? So, you know, Amazon Prime, it was free. You know, shout out to Bezos. And, <laughs> you know, I watched it. I think I watched it on like Wednesday night. It was really cool. I enjoyed it. Um, definitely doing the behind the scenes, definitely opened my eyes to a lot of the cool stuff about the movie. But, I mean, that's pretty much my experience. So let's get into Trash or Treasure. Jason, what is your Trash and Treasure with this movie? Okay, so mine's pretty equal on this. Like overall watching the movie, there's stuff I really liked about it. There's a few things I really didn't. I'll start with my trash. Getting to the scene when they're robbing the bank. I've seen like areas where they have the bulletproof glass and all that kind of stuff with the windows, but I feel like wouldn't someone notice when he's passing through a big ass backpack? Like I feel like not just this one teller would see this. I feel like, yeah, the window's big enough to shove it in there, but I feel like other people would have seen this and maybe like caught on to it at all. And then like, I feel like when they get the bag back, when she goes to the safe and puts more money into it, We've all seen movies where they put different capsules of paint that explode all over the money or anything like that. Like, Robert Pattinson seems like, when you watch this movie, he seems like street smart, really, like, understanding of how, like, the street operates. And he's very, like, I don't know if it's charismatic. He's, he's really, like, wise. And I feel like he would have checked the bag. Why didn't they check the bag at all? I know they were in a hurry. I know they're trying to get away. But they take a second to change. Like, why not open the bag and check? Because what they're in the back of that getaway car and it explodes, but I think it's it's Nick is the one that opens it because he tells his brother like, "Hey, you open it, you check it out." And then when Nick is opening it, that's when it explodes. I agree with you though. Like he should have been smart enough to been like, "Hey, I'll open this myself when we get to where we need to go," as yeah. opposed to just letting his brother kind of like fumble through it. Yeah, especially like in a moving car. But I mean, they took a second to change like in that alley. I just feel like if you're gonna do it, do it there. I don't know. I just feel like they had time. When they're being chased, I just feel like Robert Pattinson's just such a dick for leaving <laughs> his brother. Like, he falls down, they're being chased. I get it, they're on the run. Maybe it's every man for yourself. But, I mean, you know your, your brother's, like, handicapped, and he's, you're taking him along for this ride of robbing a bank and trying to get away with it and getting some cash. But it's like, why the fuck do you just leave him? I just feel like he's a big dick. Yeah, the complete disregard for, yeah. like, your brother's disability. And just he's like, like, hurry up, and just keeps yeah. going. And yeah. I'm like, no, 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 keep an eye on him, man. Yeah, like, he runs out of the door, and he's just like, Nick, come on! And he just keeps running. And I'm like, your brother's like 50 feet behind you. I feel like the whole point and purpose of that scene, though, is to show that like Nick's not cut out for that life. Like they're trying to show you the divide between the two. You know, like it just shows that by him doing it and not checking the the die packs, it kind of just shows like, fuck, like this isn't his lifestyle. Like it might be Connie's lifestyle. But not necessarily Nick's. Or even that just, he's just so narcissistic. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about him. Oh, like, yeah. it's like, hey, like. Oh, you're self-absorbed. Yeah. Like, yeah. All like, about hey, him. I'm around you. I'll get you out of this little session with, you know, the doctor and all that kind of stuff. And say, hey, you're not supposed to be here. You're not meant for 
this, whatever he says. But it's like, at the end of the day, when this goes down, it's like, no, nah, it's about me, so I'm gonna get away. I don't know, I just, I thought I was a dick. I know we're all gonna bring this up, but the 16-year-old girl. <laughs> very oh cringeworthy. So cringe. Yeah, and I just, I don't know. I don't even know what to say about it because I just felt really uncomfortable with her watching, you know, the news. He pops up on the news and then he just starts kissing. I was like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> Moments later, they're in the bed. And I'm like, holy fuck. Like, what is this movie turning into? Do I need to stop watching this? Why did Kerwin ask me to watch this? <laughs> Trash Kerwin. <laughs> but I was like, Kerwin, uh, what, are we gonna, what are we doing here? Kerwin's into some weird shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'll kind of leave it at that. that. That made me feel a little uncomfortable. I mean, that was the point. The ending, I, I didn't care much for. It just felt like the movie just ended. Like, there was no real resolution. We don't really know exactly what happened to Robert Pattinson's character. Like, did he, like, kind of help? get his brother out of jail like kind of like be self-sacrificial and just say hey like I'll take the blame for everything to get him out uh, I think that's a line that the therapist does say when he's sort of walking him back he says like that was a good thing your brother did to or something but I guess that that's, effect. but that's probably the extent of what he said it's just really glazed over right, right again like, and, that, and in that I'm assuming that's what he meant like to your point like yeah and then it just I mean he, we see the last time we see Robert Pattinson he's just in the cop car and he's going away we see the brother kind of in one of these classes and then the music comes on and that's it and then you see the credits I'm just like Okay, so we're just gonna glaze over whatever happened. I, I didn't. I didn't care much. For, I, I, I think that was kind of his last option. He did everything else possible that he could think of within that time frame. Like he's trying to sell acid, and he's trying to rob a bank and get the money, or get his girlfriend to pay for his bail with the credit card and stuff like that. So he's just like, well, I'm caught now. So the only thing I can do to help my brother out is just like take the hit. I just feel like we could have used like a 30 second or one minute scene yeah, of him yeah, yeah. like in a courtroom saying, hey, it was me, like get my brother out. Just something to like kind of resolve that. I don't know. That's yeah. just my thought. I get there's something interesting about leaving it open the way it did, but I just personally would have liked something more. My last trash, just the whole theme throughout the movie, although I did enjoy the music of the film, it was very overpowering. There was times where it was, I don't know if I had my TV up too loud, but I felt like I had to keep it loud to hear the dialogue. But then this music sometimes would build and build and build and be so loud but then they would be talking and i'm just like man like the music is interesting reminds me of kind of like stranger things which i kind of liked but it's just so much sometimes and i'm just like crank it down a tad so i can hear what's going on that was just my that's my last trash my treasure um something really small just the very opening shot panning over the city Reminding me of the Dark Knight, kind of. I was saying the exact same thing. <laughs> okay. When the window breaks open and yeah. they shoot the court out. Just yeah. that scene, it's so clear and it's like, not slow, but just the way they shoot it from above, kind of coming in the city. It was, I just, I love, I was like, okay, this is cool. I like this opening scene. I thought the masks that they wore robbing the bank freaked me out. I liked them. I thought they looked really real. I thought, I was like, at first I thought it was just some dude standing there, but it ended up being the mask. And I was like, holy crap, that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. That's what uh, Travolta and Cage could have used in Face Off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised, like, they were good, but I was like, someone would have noticed those creepy ass masks in the bank. Yeah, like, how do you just walk into a bank? Yeah, with, with the hood and like those fucking weird ass glasses. Well, see, know? that's the other thing I was wondering, um, kind of what you touched on earlier about no one saying anything with the bag is like, imagine we're doing this in the B of A in downtown San Bernardino. I feel like there's also that mentality of like, I don't want to get involved, I don't care, just mind my own business. Like, if I see that, maybe I'll just walk out. You know what I mean? Just take care of myself type of thing of like, this entire movie has like, like what no am I going to be a hero? Like, <laughs> But even from like a teller or a bank manager perspective, I feel like, yeah, maybe a customer wouldn't say anything because I probably wouldn't say shit either. But <laughs> as, a, as a teller and you see another teller getting a, a big ass backpack tossed through the, a bulletproof glass window, it's like, hmm, 
there may be something here. At least let me check on my fellow coworker and say, hey, like, are we good or something? Give them a look. I don't know. Talk well, a message on the Because well, aren't they trained just to like give in to the demands or whatever or something like, and it something could be. like that? It like, could be that. Yeah. So I think when I worked in fast food, it was the same thing. Yeah. I told you if you ever get stuck up, you know, when I was a kid, just do whatever they say. Yeah, back in like my retail job, like right. that work at the grocery store, like it's just like, yo, if somebody comes up and asks for all the money in your register, just empty that shit out and give it to them. And if they want more, you got to tell them like the only way you can get more is a manager. You have to give them whatever's in your register for the safety of like yourself and everybody around you. Yeah. I mean, maybe they could have done camera angles to show people yeah. not paying well, attention or busy like or so. Close-ups. Right. So but it's really like get in right. a perspective, like it, it, does she have coworkers? It could be just more right. Like, because the, because they want because they wanted the scene to play out the way they did where they get away, they get busted with the bags and then they're running. Whereas if now other people are getting involved, it gets more sticky or harder for them to get out of their realistically type of thing. Yeah. yeah, maybe I just feel like, you know, these tellers are typically all on the line in a row. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah, definitely. Because when he was talking to them, you felt like it was just those two on an island. That's, like, what, I, that's yeah. what I kind of felt like. And it's like, pass her a note, make her grab a bag. I mean, they got bags back there, I'm sure. I don't know. Just just one thing I didn't care much for. Or sorry, that I, I like, again, where I kind of started <laughs> with that was the... <laughs> we, got, we got back to my trash. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, my, trash, my bad. I took it back there. No, that's okay. My, my treasure was the masks, but we kind of got off. We're back to my, tra- my trash there. Um... I mean, you guys are probably going to say this too, Robert Pattinson's performance. Again, not really seeing him in much, just knowing what he has done in the past as a, like Twilight and stuff like that. I was bought in. I thought he did a great job. He looked very different than I'm used to seeing him in like ads for Twilight and all that kind of stuff. So I think his character, it was really gritty. It was, I thought he just knocked it out of the park. I think it, he did a great job. I, I don't know how to word this correctly, but Robert Pattinson's character's like demeanor, like he he acts like he owns everything. Like he has a way of like schmoozing everything, like getting into that late after the after the accessor ride, and they get dropped off and get into that lady's house with the sixteen year old girl. Like just schmoozing his way or just saying whatever he needs to like get in there. Like hey, like I need a phone. I need this. Can I come in? And then he's there, and then he ends up like staying the night, and then using stuff in her like bathroom cabinet and it's just like everything he does he just figures out a way to like make it happen I don't know if it's like a street smart thing a confidence thing I don't know what it is but again plays back to his performance that he did really good I, I love the scene where he got the wrong person out of the hospital I honestly didn't I don't know what you guys saw but I did not see that coming I mean he saw the security guard again we were talking about this before we did the podcast um I thought he was looking not only in the room, but also at the chart when he was passing by the security guard. So I thought he had like, because I saw him doing that before. He's kind of glancing in each chart. I think he even touched a few of them to pull it up to see, you know, whose name was on it. So I thought he had done that. So I thought for sure, like, well, you know, he just has all the bandages on his face. That's got to be his brother, you know, and it ends up not being it. I was totally caught off guard and I loved it. I thought that was an awesome part of the movie. Good twist. Yeah, definitely. For like a second, I thought it still was his brother, just like spazzing out. Or yeah, yeah. Like, at what point did you realize that that wasn't him? Okay, so he I was like, he sounds way more coherent now. I was thinking, yeah. Yeah. I thought the same thing, and I was like, here we go. This is where this guy shits the bed on his acting. Like, he doesn't sound like he did before, like in the very beginning of the movie. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, you got to keep it together. And then it ends up not being him. I was like, oh shit, I gotta shut up because this was really. <laughs> That's what I thought. I was like. But I don't know. I, I really enjoyed that part. Um, I think the little, not theme park, but the little like Adventureland place, wasn't it called Adventureland? Yeah. I, I don't know if they did that on purpose because I think it was Kristen Stewart that was in the movie Adventureland too. Yeah, yeah she yeah, was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if he, they put that in there because of that. I don't know. I caught that. I thought that that was kind of interesting. Easter egg. Yeah, I don't know. I was like, you can call it anything else. You can call it Scandia if you want, but no, they called it Adventureland. R.I.P. Um, yeah, R.I.P. Scandia, yeah. 
And then my last treasure is a kind of a treasure, kind of a trash. I don't know, it freaks me out. But when the ass is in that Sprite bottle and the security guard is on his back and they subdued him and then the dude just pours the acid straight in that dude's mouth. I don't know why, because I mean, with like blotter acid, like they were doing, it's like they put a drop on a piece of that paper and you take it and you, he was tripping balls or they put three or four drops. This guy was like putting a third of that Sprite bottle down his throat. And I'm like, I can't even imagine not only having that happen, but then waking up in that fucking clusterfuck of a ride with all of the neon lights and shit popping out and you're on acid and you're on like a, a third of a Sprite, like you're on like probably four ounces of acid. I don't even want to know what that trip was like, because I'm sure he was, if he was not dead, he probably was just tripping balls big time. But that's all I got for my trash and treasure. What's funny is my inner scummy side was like, oh yeah, smart, yeah, do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't, I'm kind of mad at you, so you're like, like rooting for the scumbag. Well, like, no, I just, I just feel bad because one of my first thoughts was like, oh yeah, that's smart. It freaked me out. Like I, I literally like, oh my God, I can't even, I don't even want to think about what Oh dude, and like. like when he woke up and he's just screaming incoherently. Like, I was just happy screaming. he woke up. Yeah. Like I thought he was dead. I thought he was gonna die too, yeah. Dominic, what is uh, your trash treasure with this movie? Uh, man, a lot of them are gonna be mixed because I don't, I don't even know how to interpret my feelings right now for this movie. Most of them are good, but uh, I would just start with like the first twenty minutes of this movie. I was definitely on board. Felt like it set the tone for the whole entire movie. I got a glimpse of you know their relationship. You know him barging into the third procession and then they just go on like a bank heist and then just in the whole twenty minutes and then seventeen minutes in, I believe like that's when the credits roll and then it goes like a montage of like yeah the longest the, also the longest opening credits I've yeah, ever seen see, in my the, life yeah. Yeah. I yeah. timed it like a minute and 30 seconds yeah. and it's just kind of like oh okay. yeah the titles take like forever to come on and then yeah. the opening credits aren't done until like 20 minutes yeah. in or something like yeah. that but like during those opening credits like you just see his brother just go through hell like in the jail and you just kind of feel like bad for him while his brother's just you know out there walking about and just trying to figure out his next move and plan and stuff like that so my favorite part though was when they're in a taxi and he's like telling them the story of why he needs the money and it's like completely different it's like oh yeah I don't know what the therapist said might have just started wailing on the guy now we need money da 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 I'm just like what the fuck like how did you come up with that on the spot and like so believable he's like, like we said like he's just a crazy narcissist yeah. like he will make up anything and say anything to get anything that he wants exactly I'm just like by no means am I promoting like you should lie and like still like that but it's just like just that moment you're just like wow I appreciate this little nugget of, like, like the like, levels that they're yeah. showing yeah. well yeah it's, I almost wonder if there was supposed to be an undertone of him being a drug addict because at the same time you've seen that yeah. sort of hardcore convincing lying of like you know in an addict's mind they link their next high to survival so they will do by any means I mean, if you had to eat, you would survive by any means necessary. It's interesting that you bring that up, too, because, like, I don't ever get the sense that he uses drugs this entire I, movie. See, and I don't either. It's just how good he is at manipulating yeah. people online. It's, it's just, like, almost genius level, like, improvisation. Yeah, he's got, like, the textbook, like, like, almost, like, addict behavior, like, the, the sociopathic way just to kind of flip a story on a dime and just to make... Because for some reason with addicts, they can tell you a story, and if they believe it, you believe it, just for some fucking reason. They can tell you that the sky's black. You're like, yeah, you know, fuck, it's black. And it's just kind of one of those things like you just throughout the movie, you see him just flip a story on a dime and just change paths on what the story is supposed to be. And you, you almost believe it as a watcher. You're just like, oh, I guess that's what we're doing now. Like, Yeah, because when he said his therapist abused him, I was just like, oh, maybe he did. Yes, you, know? you believe it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, we just watched yeah. it. Like. <laughs> when he said that, I'm like, did I fucking miss something? I'm like, no, he's just, I guess. Yeah, he barged like, in, got him to do a robbery, and now you're lying about yeah. your brother, like wailing on a therapist just to get him out. It's just like, damn, man. So you have love for your brothers, but it's like the weirdest type of relationship that he has. 
But um, this is probably going to be weird to say, but I appreciated the director being ballsy enough to show the 16-year-old kiss and all that stuff. I know he's committing, like, statutory rape and shit like that, but it's just, like, that shit happens in America, like, every day, I'm sure. And it's just, like... I think that's what makes fact, it even so more cringy. Yeah, but the fact that I, I sat there and walked through, I kind of appreciated it as far as, like, for, like, the storytelling, I guess. It was still hard to watch, but I was just like, okay. I, I, just, I wasn't expecting it. I guess if I was expecting more, it wouldn't be... I don't know. But I, I just, like, his character, like, Robert Pattinson's character, I was like, no, he's not going to do anything. They're just going to sit there and watch this, and he's going to, like, oh, call her into the kitchen, like, get away from the TV. No, yeah. no, he just kisses no. her. And I was like, oh, okay, wasn't expecting and that. And it was this quick, like, yeah. again, quick, like, genius level improv. Yeah, exactly. just like, at the time of this movie, I believe she was 19 years old. Oh, okay. yeah. thank God. Yeah. Yeah. She's so still a guppy. Yeah, but a, as a character, yeah, as a character, she she was, yeah. Because that was, was my biggest thing, is just, you know, she plays 16. Most movies, like, like Super Bad, for instance, like, they're fucking in their mid 20s by high school. She looked like a hard 16. So I thought like she was 15, 16. It just well, especially like her reactions, like especially when he takes her back to the bed and like yeah. he's kissing, but when he comes off her, you see her just kind of sitting there, but she just has like a dumb, like a kid, like a dumb look yeah. on her face. Like she doesn't know what she's doing. She's just kind of going, and it just made it so. And it speaks to them directing well into like the art being good, but also like it's yeah. not a place I want to go mentally. But so I mean, it's kind of trash and treasure. I'm just like, what the fuck? Yeah, and it also <laughs> it also does a lot of uh, kind of like what you're saying, Dominic, uh, the realism of it and kind of the rawness of the reality of the situation. Um, when he gets up off her, Justin, she's just like, hey, what the hell? Where are you going? Like, you know, finish finish what you're doing. And she even talks about how her boyfriend or ex-boyfriend is also a drug dealer. The he's way, older too, yeah. And he's older. So unfortunately, you know, like we're talking about, this is the reality of the world in the United States. It's just like, yeah, you do have like these young girls, these young men and women being caught up in a lot of these unfortunate circumstances where they are participants in activities with older people, which is pretty fucked up. I mean, that's what I appreciate about the storytelling in this movie. It just drove me mad sometimes. I'm just like, where the fuck are her parents? Why is she going to fucking Baker's at like 12 or late at night trying to pick up these random strangers? Food and shit like that. I'm just like, that's why I appreciate it. It just drove me, I guess, give me an emotional rise. You know, movie's good when it provokes you in some sort of way. I guess my trash is just like the logic that was used in this movie. Like no one notices any of these things. Like a sane person would just like realize, okay, this guy's bullshitting or like this kid should not be out this late. And it's just, that was my only thing. I, I can't, it's hard to explain. I don't even know. I don't even know. You're right there. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, there's a lot of emotion, but I just, I just appreciate this movie. I wouldn't watch it a million times, but I just appreciate the storytelling. I guess. I think I would watch it again, though. Personally, oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. especially. I would after, recommend it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, just to watch it, just to see if anything, if anything, just to see Robert Pattinson in a different light. I think, if anything, because I think he did a great job. But yeah, Ricky, what is your trash and treasure with this movie? A lot of these are gonna be repetitive. So when it starts off, I mean, it's, I thought the same thing as you guys. When it first the, the aerial shot in New York City, you're like fuck, dude, Dark Knight, like it's just exactly. like spot on. Yeah, and like I mean, not to the T, but like almost seems for scene almost the same. It's almost like the Dark Knight, like in the yeah. bank robbery. Like it's like oh shit, like kind of follows like in the footsteps. Um, it, maybe it was just me, but I thought New York looked gross. Like I thought like they did a, yeah. a, a did a good way to make it look dirty and slimy, and it made just the way the camera kind of panned out. To you, it's like oh fuck, you know, it kind of set the tone for what it's going into. Well, New York uh, is gross. Yo, it's <laughs> fucking disgusting. Sorry if anybody's listening to New York. It's a great city. Ew, gross. Um, the opening scene with Nick. 
I read a lot of reviews and people kind of shit on him for uh, Benny Saf- Safty, right? Uh, Safty. Safty, yeah. They shit on his, you know, the PC world we live in, that his portrayal of a disabled man. And for me, I don't think he had to say one fucking word. All his acting was in his eyes. You can see the emotion in his eyes. You can see the hurt in his eyes. You can just tell right then and there that he's not cut out for this shit. Maybe his brother is, but not him. So, you know, that kind of follows suit with the bank robbery. With the bank robbery, with the die packs, you know, I kind of just got a sense of, fuck, man, like this dude's in and over his head. He just can't handle this kind of shit. So, you know, those are some of my treasures. Uh, the soundtrack, I, I love that shit. The first thing I texted Kurt when I was watching, I was like, dude, like, I feel like I'm fucking playing Sega or Nintendo or something. Like, it just got you, like, kind of, like, hyped up a little bit. I do agree, though, it was a little bit overwhelming, and sometimes it didn't really match with what was going on. I agree. Yeah, yeah. sometimes you're just like, what the fuck, why are we playing that? Totally off the rails for this one, but a treasure for me is Jennifer Jason Lee, and it has nothing to do with this fucking movie just because the first time I saw her was in uh, Fast Times, Richmond High. You know, the first time I saw a pair of boobs, so, you know, always, that was good. Always a good, you know, memory. So, like, fucking, you know, shout out to Phoebe Cates. Uh, and then another one, I don't know, maybe you guys can pick up on this and kind of explain it because I can't really put it into thoughts, but I thought a treasure was Crystal getting screwed over. You know, we see it all the time, but she thought she was an adult. She thought she was mature. And it just clearly shows the depth and levels to Connie's bullshit, so to speak. He played her so bad. And, you know, she thought she was one of them, I guess you would say. And it just showed her inability and, you know, her uh, immaturity, so to speak. You talk about like his narcissism, right? There are times where you think he's doing something for the right reason, but you know deep down yeah. he's just fucking somebody over. Yeah. So like when he tells the cops he doesn't know her, a rational person would say, I don't know her in an effort to save this person. Like, hey, you know what? She's a kid. I'm going to pretend I don't know her so the cops can just take her home. But we know that's bullshit. We know the reason he cut her off was because he got what he wanted and he doesn't need this girl anymore. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, he used her for what he needed. As soon as he started talking to her, I was just like, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. And that like, look between them on the bridge it was almost romantic yeah. like you know but like almost like they really did have something yeah going back to his little bs speech to her about how he felt like she was a part of something yeah her eyes her face when he says he's a knower she's genuinely hurt and upset and like he looks at her like we would look at like a piece of trash on the floor just like eh, you know just did totally disregarded her as a person and just as everything but this is all taking place in the night so i'm just like yeah just, how do you catch feelings that quickly and she's a kid like, man yeah. yeah she's a kid Another one for me was, uh, I thought Ray's death was cool. Those kind of people, man, just because I have an uncle who's a drug addict. And just their rationale sometimes, and he just totally goes in line with how he dies. Like, oh, hey, let's just fucking scale a building because he's four flights up, but you can just fucking figure it out. A lot of this, like, struck home with me because, like I said, I do have an uncle who's a drug addict, and I see a lot of him in Robert Pattinson's character, the manipulative and all that kind of shit. Um, I thought Connie's arrest was cool. I like the overhead view of it. Something about the way he was running through there kind of just reminded me like a rat in a maze kind of. Just the way yeah. he was cut out. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. like it was just kind of like, oh shit, like, you like know. Like the way the stairs were and everything. Yeah. yeah. So I just kind of got that view on there. The very end with Nick talking to the therapist again, it kind of just goes full circle. So I, yeah, I thought that was a treasure. Um, I love the filmmaking, the guerrilla style filming. I thought it was cool. You know, it felt real. So that was, that was a plus for me. The biggest treasure, though, that everyone's always talking about, and I'm going to hit on it too again, is fucking Robert Pattinson. He was great in this movie. And like I said, I, I've only seen him in bits and pieces of Twilight. His acting chops were terrible in there. I mean, it's just almost as if the Twilight directors told him to just to dumb it down because it was just nothing like this. And if he had this the whole time, it's just it's just fucking crazy. Well, him is, oh, that's sorry. not Pattinson's fault, isn't it? The director's Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like they almost told him, like, hey, dumb it down a little bit. Like, hmm. you know, that's kind of on par with those kind of movies anyway. So, you know, it's a wash. I just loved him as a protagonist. You know, he had no redeemable qualities to him. And he's just a yeah. piece of shit. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and you, you get that from the get 
go and he doesn't really change. There's no real arc to him. He kind of just he's there. The arc is like him well, not getting caught but kind of taking the rap, no? Yeah. Well, here's the thing though. It's just like... We don't know if it's really taking the rap. Yeah, because we talk about the girl. Any rational person would have done it to save her. We know he didn't based on his character. Do we really know that he took the rap for his brother? Because what I think personally, I think that had he gotten the bail money, he would have jetted with it. He never would have taken care of his brother, honestly. Personally. Yeah, I, I, personally. I thought the same thing. Like it, it personally. Just... And then I think at the end, he was caught up. Did he kind of, you know, rat on himself to save his brother because he had no other choice? Maybe. But it could have just been like the cops found him, realized he was fucking everything up based on footage or witnesses. And then they just cleared his brother because they realized, hey, you know, his brother was dragged into all of this with or without. Connie's assistance or whatever Connie could have just been like fuck you to the end and then the authorities are the ones that got Nick off for all we know oh yeah and because the therapist could have just been saying that to the brother to get him to go along more easily yeah, or, yeah. because again everything he's done in this movie had an ulterior motive even the supposedly yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. He, he's always mentally seemed like one step ahead of what was going on so it just it was kind of interesting um, I'm gonna add a new treasure just to the top of my head you know after hearing all the behind the scenes stuff to me a treasure is Ray I thought in the movie I'm like god damn this dude plays a fucking convict to like the T well he was one so I guess you know <laughs> it, kind of, it kind of worked out a little bit so uh, trash for me is incompetent hospital staff I mean I just had a baby and to go see my baby I had to go to like six or seven checkpoints I don't know how the fuck he got up there fifth floor got him out nobody even bat an eyelash everyone was too busy doing whatever the fuck they were doing I get it it was late at night but I mean come on <laughs> like shit it's like the rationale in the yeah movie. yeah just like, like you just kind of threw all rationality out of the window like you know same thing with the bank robbery scene yeah. it's just for me, a big one, my biggest trash though, is I didn't personally care about any of these characters. You know, Connie was a great character, but besides that, like they could have all died at the very end, I wouldn't have cared. Nick could have stayed in prison forever, I wouldn't have cared. At the end of the movie, it just kind of ended for me. And just I didn't had no real connection with the characters either way. I just they were just there. And so for me, that was a big one. Last but not least, the crystal scene. Everybody's trash. You know, I, I didn't do the research, so I really thought she was sixteen. So that made it even fucking way worse for me. <laughs> and. The first time I saw it, um, my son was talking to it, so I actually caught, like, they were already kissing, so I was like, fuck, I gotta rewind. So I had, I had, I had the, the pleasure of watching it. Actually, I watched it last night, so I just got the pleasure of watching it three times. It doesn't get better every time. It's, fuck, it's just, it's weirder every time. And then my last one is just the pacing kind of I thought was a trash. Like, it started off so strong, and then I kind of feel like in the middle kind of dragged on a little bit. I feel like they could have cut maybe 20 minutes of it and maybe, or maybe focused 20 more minutes on character development to make you actually care about the characters. But yeah, that was it for me. All right, Justin, what is your trash and treasure with this movie? Uh, more or less the same that everyone else is saying. Uh, I feel like the trash is also to its credit. It just takes you into like a very scummy kind of dark place where it's hard to get invested. Um, even our protagonist only kind of shines because he's maybe one step ahead of the other scum. Um, you know, like kind of <laughs> even just, you know, the way he kind of calls out Ray when they're in the apartment about when Ray's trying to get personal with him. And he's like, you're a loser. The f- What's the first thing you did as soon as you got out here is you went straight to the alcohol. Like even his girlfriend, when she was arguing with her mother, was having that little mental breakdown she started crying over the phone when uh, she blocked the credit cards. It's sort of this island of broken dolls or misfit toys or something where his uh, mentally handicapped brother who's in this prison system who should not be in the prison at all and as clearly made evident by just him these fights he's getting into again it takes you to this dark place but that's kind of what it's supposed to do which makes it harder to watch sort of or repeatability if you will but you know taking a step back from that that's also it's treasures that it's amazing at doing that um, especially finding out that all these people cast for a lot of these roles were actual convicts and like I said earlier just um, it speaks to the directors they got these great 
performances out of them. Uh, it speaks to Robert Pattinson. His acting was amazing in this. Uh, like uh, me and Corinne were talking about, he totally disappeared into this role. Uh, he 100% believed he was Connie. Personally, I thought the slickest scene was um, when he's in the hospital and he's trying to scope out his brother's room and he's talking to the cop and he's just going like, oh, hey, man, I've, my, I'm visiting my dad and it's been like four hours. I'm losing it. The TV goes off when I stand up and I sit down like he, just that whole little spiel he's giving him and as he's like trying the to cop's the only one that doesn't buy into his bullshit right he's like oh, you want anything from the vending machine yeah, yeah. he just leaves as yeah, soon as yeah, he yeah. knows he's like oh, I can't get this guy but yeah but yeah exactly like okay he's not gonna he's not gonna engage me so then he goes and like retreats and again showing him thinking on his feet where in that woman's sort of uh, moaning out and you know he hands her the sort of yogurt and then he <laughs> takes a drink himself so again it's like an almost humane thing almost like an ICU but yet he's only there because he's trying trying to break his brother out who's in jail because he got him into a bank robbery like yeah there's like layers to it like, which oh, makes oh. it a very interesting movie so uh, my probably my biggest trash because of that and not a lot of repeatability unless you're very specifically wanting something completely raw acting then this is 100% what it's supposed to be 100% treasure uh, like I said great directing great acting my biggest uh, my biggest treasure on those it's crazy as like as sane people we look at it and just look and we look at the, the characters and we're like why the fuck are you listening to him like he's manipulative you just see them falling for it and it's just crazy to see how many people we, he can get under the wing just by making up a false story and you know that's almost one of those things if you say something with enough confidence people will just believe it and follow you yeah it's kind of like the situations that the character is getting into those particular situations that we had to watch were trash but like it's a treasure. Yeah, the execution. Like, is, yeah, yeah. Right, right. yeah, like what what the characters are doing and are subjected to is trash. But it is all done with purpose. It's all yeah. done in a purposeful way, and it's executed to great effect to make you feel uncomfortable with what is happening. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It does a good job of that. Kerwin, what's your trash and treasure? So first and foremost, it's not really a trash, but an observation. This whole movie is a video game. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, it starts off. Uh, well, it doesn't start off, but the title card is literally like good time and it's done in this like 32-bit Super NES type titles and it even has like the copyright info underneath the title. I was waiting for like press start to show up. <laughs> now, is this your own epiphany? Because that's interesting or did you kind of read on something on this? No, I just I just felt that way right from the no, beginning. No, no, that's especially because like I, I forgot to mention this, but it feels like there's no like arc, like redeeming quality or like the hero learns lesson. It just feels like a ticking clock and like to your point of that being a video game, like yeah, you're playing the levels, you're surviving, you're barely passing and then you you get caught up on the final boss or something i feel like each stage of the movie is like a stage in a game you break nick out of therapy you rob a bank you run from the cops in the mall you break into the hospital you stay at this lady's house you go to adventureland park you go to the security guard's apartment and then uh ricky how you talked about how the dude's running and you have that top-down view yeah like it looks like he's in like an atari game trying yeah, to escape yeah. a maze or he's like pac-man escaping yeah. ghosts and then he eventually gets caught up and it's like game over at that point and i thought that was that was a really cool thing i don't know if it was done intentionally but this does feel like a video game especially with the score and everything like that it's not 8-bit but it does get close to that um, but that's just an observation um, my trash um, at the very beginning uh, Nick is crying in his therapy session and like two really big tears come out of his eyes and then when we cut back to him his face is completely dry I thought that was like bad editing um, but that's just me being nitpicky um, yo fuck these guys for wearing black people face masks <laughs> Um, you know, no, because like people really do do that shit. They yeah. will, they will dress up as black people or other uh, minorities 
so that way they can kind of get away with crimes and shit people will lie and say like a black guy did it or a hispanic did it so i was like fuck these guys <laughs> um that domino's guy was a real dick it's just like yo just let him use the restroom like who cares customers only like he said he was gonna pay do i believe him nah <laughs> that domino's guy was a real dick uh they should have just gone to the subway that they walked past subway I'll always let you use the restroom I'm pretty sure that glass on a sliding door doesn't just shatter from somebody running into it the first time. So like when Nick runs into it, it just shatters into a million pieces. Like that shit would never happen and he wasn't even running that fast. It happened in the office. I guess, yeah. (laughs) That's true. Um, You know, Connie's a fucking scumbag, you know, for all the reasons you guys mentioned. Why exactly did Connie need the money in the first place? Did they ever get into why he was... Yeah, he says he's gonna take Nick away and they're gonna go off somewhere. But I feel like based on his narcissistic tendencies or personality that we talk about throughout this whole episode, like... You know, Nick was always only an accessory to get the money. And I feel like his encouraging nature to his brother is only to get him on his side. I think his whole plot was, I'm using my brother to get this money in jet. You know, he tells his girlfriend, I got this money so we could go on vacation together. She's even looking at like flights, etc. Like yeah, he, I thought, he, yeah, the girlfriend was like yeah, saving up. And nah, he, he ain't taking that bitch nowhere. <laughs> like he goes to the bail bondsman and he's like, yo, I got the money. I thought this was somebody he was paying off. Yeah. But it's just like, no, he took the money to the guy to bail his brother out. I'm very confused with this character because... I feel like if he got Nick out and got him back into his own custody, he probably would have just robbed another bank. To what end? I know not. I think maybe it's it just doesn't matter. I think the entire purpose of this movie is just to show what a scumbag Connie is. Yeah, because you know, at one point, doesn't he ask the bail bondsman to use like the money in his ch- in his uh, safe or something? Yeah, like he's before? like, let me borrow the money in the safe. He's just like, the money in my safe. He's like, no, right. no, no, get your own money. Yeah, he says, no, that's my money. Yeah. <laughs> Um, pretty sure that lady, the house he stayed at, she was Haitian. I recognize that accent anywhere. So shout out to, <laughs> shout out to my Haitian people. Yeah. Nobody in their fucking right mind would let anybody stay in their house like that in the middle of the yeah. night. No. Yeah. Especially in New York. I think especially in New York, nobody would especially let you do that. Like the dynamic between black and white, like a little white guy a, to stay in your house. Like, and that's a huge thing that I want to get into. Like, um, Robert Pattinson's character, Connie fucks over black people specifically. The lady at the bank is black, wearing black people's faces as masks, uh, cuts in front of the old black couple to get on the the hospital bus. Uh, He crashes at Crystal's house. Uh, You know, she's black. Her family's black. He hooks up with Crystal for his own needs, beats up the security guard who is black, you know, leaves Crystal hanging with the cops. I know the directors have talked about racial dynamics and kind of the uh, anonymity that Connie's race uh, affords him in a lot of the uh, situations that he's in. Nobody's going to be looking for him when they suspect somebody, you know, up to no good. I don't know if you guys have ever seen or heard of the movie Blind Spotting, but that movie specifically deals with the uh, overall perception of an individual and their uh, supposed danger to society. So that deals a lot with uh, stereotyping and um, profiling. So I feel like he is able to accomplish a lot of this stuff because of what he looks like. But I mean, they don't delve into it too much, but the directors have spoken about that being done on purpose. Connie is such a scumbag. We talked about it. He makes Ray look like a saint. I love Ray, by the way. And um, that's kind of getting into my uh, treasure. Um, I love Ray. 
I love every actor in this movie. There isn't a single performance in this movie that I disliked, and I could not believe that 90% of these people were cast off the street. I would never think that in a million years based on the performances they were giving. So that's an A plus to everybody. Robert Pattinson, you know, I always felt he was a good actor based on what I had read he was getting himself involved in, but to finally see it, this is the first time I'm seeing him in something other than Twilight. So I, I really got to give him props on that, and I can't believe... Like, he wasn't even nominated for anything for this movie. Like, I cannot believe, like, his performance didn't at least get him, like, Golden Globe nomination or Oscar nomination or something. I think he did a, an incredible job. I'm so glad I've never done acid. <laughs> um, I love the grungy look of everything, the film grain, the oversaturation of colors, and the contrast and everything uh, in the movie and how it's shot. It really has that um, 1970s or 80s crime movie film, like an old school, like taxi driver type movie. Like, I, I really love that. Shout out to Salino and Barnes, Injury Attorneys. Uh, they got featured in here. <laughs> injury <laughs> Attorneys. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> even though they're just the Barnes firm now, but uh, <laughs> we miss you, Salino. Come, come back. Um, also, the editing is really great in this movie. Um, one of my favorite parts is the flashback scene where Ray is talking about how he jumped out of the cab. I really love the editing in that spot. It's it's just so well done and seamless. So shout out to shout out to the directors and you know these guys for putting an amazing piece of work together. Um, that, whole, that whole editing scene reminded me of SLC Punk so bad when he's telling the story. Oh, about um, uh, the acid story. Yeah, the acid yeah. trip. Yeah. I did appreciate the ending, um, not necessarily because I care about what happened to Connie, because I really don't. I fucking hate him. He's a dick. But I, I did appreciate that they ended it with Nick. They started it with Nick, and they ended it with Nick. And I think maybe, and this is just me reaching, I think the resolution comes not from Connie having any sort of character arc, but in knowing that Nick is safe. Because we started off with Nick getting help, being helped, and the movie ends with Nick being in the custody of his grandmother. Um, he's at the uh, he's at the hospital. He's getting his therapy. He's in a group for uh, mentally disabled individuals. You know, kind of getting help from the community. I appreciate that that is the ending that they chose to go with because at the end of the day, like I don't give a fuck what happens to Connie. Everybody you see around Connie ends up it just shows how toxic he is. And yeah, he's just yeah, a toxic yeah. individual. And then you know, so yeah. I appreciate that one person in his life, one person that he's fucked over has some sort of happy ending. Yeah. And one of the things that stuck out to me is when they're playing across uh, the room and everybody walks across the room, uh, there's three times that I noticed and there could be more when Nick walks across the room. The first one is, have they never gotten along with the family member? Um, that could be in relation to Connie's manipulation as far as his relationship with the grandmother, how he says he threw like a pan or a pot at her, or it could actually be related to how Nick feels about Connie at the end of the day or at the end of the movie. Mm. That could be revelatory in some sense. He also walks across when they ask, you know, walk across the room if you have ever been blamed for something that you did not do. Mm -hmm. And I feel like him walking across the room for that shows you that he is very aware of the toxicity of his brother and that he's either recognized it or come to accept that as fact. Um, so I did appreciate that. I did like that um, he walked across when they asked, do you have a friend? He walked across for that too, I believe. So I do think that this character still has some semblance of a relationship or loving perspective of his brother at the end of the day. That's my biggest treasure. I do appreciate that we start with Nick and we end with Nick, who's okay, hopefully by the end of the movie. But that's that's my trash and treasure. So let's get into ticket prices. Uh, Jason, how much are you paying to watch this movie? 
I've been like contemplating this for the last 45 <laughs> minutes and I still am so unsure. I mean, I think I appreciate it more now just after some of the research, Kerwin, you talked about just pulling people off the streets, the real life experiences that they had gone through, whether they meant to do that or not to prep for this role, but they've been through things that really related to their characters in the movie. Um, again, Robert Pattinson, I think, did a great job. But like I said, I just, the ending for me left me hanging. I understand that um, there was some resolution, but I don't know. I just, I wasn't a big fan of it. And like Dominic was saying too, like there's no like real redeeming quality in any of these characters. And it's just like, you don't really feel, I think Ricky, you were talking about it too. Like you don't really like give a shit. Like if you don't continue in the movie, like and you're gone, okay, bye. And like if you all die, okay. Like I, I'm not going to feel one way or the other. Well, the it's only just, one I felt bad is the brother. That's the one I've really felt bad about. Yeah. The brother, but like Ray, I mean, I don't care. Connie, yeah, yeah. at the end of the day, Everyone who cares? Everyone else, yeah, is, is very disposable. One, well, the girl. I felt bad for the girl. I was like, Fuck. and we don't get a whole lot of time with the brother either. We get him at the beginning. We see him go through that, you know, the process of getting into jail and what he goes through at the beginning, and then we get him at the end. He doesn't say a lot. We don't get like enough. We should have had another twenty minutes with him, or flashbacks with him, or. I don't know. We needed more to build that that connection with that character to give you know have more emotion or attachment towards him. I don't think we got that. I think I'll, I'll go ten. I think I'm gonna go ten. I think because of behind the scenes. I think because of Robert Pattinson's performance, I was blown away. Didn't know what to expect going into this movie. So I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it at a ten. All right, Dominic. How much are you paying to watch Good Time? I definitely enjoyed this movie as as cringe as it was in uh, some scenes it, the performances from everyone so I'm gonna go with 15 alright Ricky how much are you paying to watch Good Time yeah I'm with Jason I've been teetering it those last 45 minutes <clears throat> you would ask me the first time I watched it I probably would have been the one to give it a $5 because I, I just really just didn't enjoy it um, after hearing you know the behind the scenes and everything that goes with it you know you definitely appreciate it more you, you kind of appreciate the characters a little bit more um Another thing that they should have touched on, like Jason was saying, is they should have showed him a little bit more in jail. I know he touched on a little bit, but he was in general population in Rikers. And uh, when you're in jail, there's kind of three forms of people that, you know, they're rapists, the uh, people who hurt women, and then mentally disabled. So they get it way worse. So I think if they would have showed him that a little bit more, you would have felt a little bit more for him. You would have felt sorry for him. Uh, maybe even throwing like a Connie visit or something like that, just kind of get that emotional string. But because of all the behind the scenes and Robert Pattinson's performance, I'm going to give this $15. Cool. Justin, how much are you paying to watch this movie? Again, all the cringiness for the stuff we said, all the scumbagginess, but 100% what it was supposed to be, what it's trying to be is what it is. The performances and, uh, again, like I said, Kerwin's uh, behind-the-scenes info just gave me new respect for everything, the writers, directors, the actors. So I'd give it a solid 15. Uh, I'm going to pay 15 to watch this movie. Everything we talked about, I feel so much of it was done with purpose and intent, and I think that speaks to the ability of all parties involved, the actors, directors, um, even the people they pulled off the street. Uh, I'm so glad that these directors got great performances out of them. You know, yeah, it is cringe. Like, we all agreed. Like, there is some uncomfortable shit in this movie. But I think it's like one of those movies where the protagonist isn't a hero. It reminds me of Nightcrawler. Yeah. You know, like yeah. like yeah. The, the main character is so magnetic, but they are so disgusting at the same time. You hope they fail, but there's a little part of you that wants them to succeed. And I think it takes really, really good writing, directing, and acting to create that kind of character in a movie. So, that was part of my trash. I was like, I was mad at myself. I was like low-key rooting for it. Yeah, yeah you, you, you like, find a, you, you're kind of mad at yourself sometimes because you want them to succeed, but what they're trying to succeed at is so fucked up. Yeah. But um, yeah, uh, you know, I'm gonna give this movie a 15. 
So I think that brings our ticket price to $14 that we would pay. All right. So yeah, we'd pay uh, $14 to watch Good Time. Uh, everybody cool with that? Yeah, that's about the average. That's all right. Yeah, I'm cool with that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so now we uh, now we're really about to have a good time. Uh, oh shit! <laughs> who would Tom Cruise play oh. uh, if he was in Good Time? Anybody want to take that? All right, I'll go first because I want to take it for anybody else does. Ray, come on, man. I agree. It, that, 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 that whole scene, the, the arcade right with the whole ass story they went through Adventureland. That's fucking Taylor made Tom Cruise right there. Yeah. Give him five minutes to just run in and jump out of a taxi cab. That, that's Tom Cruise all the that. way right there. He would have stuck the landing. Oh, he would have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he he yeah. had those metal shoes on with a coast on the side of the taxi. Like, yeah. Yeah. like we, all, we, we all talked about like our surprise when we found out it was Ray and not Nick. Imagine surprise and you find out it's Ray, but Ray's fucking Tom Cruise. That'd be like, amazing. Just fucking A. Like, uh, they just, I would love to see him like take on that convict role. Because we've always seen him as like the, the hero and all that stuff. Yeah, he needs, he needs to be a bad guy more often. Yeah. Yeah. In hindsight, though, I mean, if he really was Ray, that'd be a real big problem with Connie because Tom Cruise and Nick Size are fucking polar opposites. So, I mean, you think you know your brother a little bit more than that. But, yeah, I, I got to go Ray. I, I got to agree. Ray was one. I mean, you can't make him Connie. I think Reno Robert Pattinson just kills it. So, yeah, I'd, I'd have to go Ray, too. Yeah, 100% Ray. But something else interesting, I would like to see him play the role of, uh, of the brother of Nick to do a sort of a reverse Rain Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Who else was in Rayman? Uh, uh, Justin Hoffman. Just Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. yeah, that's right. All right, cool. So uh, that's it for good time. Fourteen dollars, and uh, in the words of Tom Cruise, "Fuck you, Sally." <laughs> no, no, hey, oh, no. Fuck you, Connie. Piece of shit. <laughs> we are fucking people over. Yeah. Fuck you, Connie. Statutory. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Twenty Dollar Ticket. Follow us on Instagram at $20Ticket and leave your ticket price about the movies we've reviewed. If you have any comments or suggestions, send them to $20Ticket at gmail.com. That's 2-0, the numbers, $20Ticket at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and thank you for listening. Since most of the movie was, uh, fuck me, man. Jesus. <laughs> it's going in the bloopers. <laughs> <laughs> What's her fucking name? What's her name in the movie? Bella? Bella. Yeah. yeah. He's like, Bella, don't. Like, oh, Stop Jesus. it, Bella. Like, I really felt that one. I feel it in your soul. I think the resolution is not in Connie's character arc, but I think... Arced? Fuck me, right? Arced. Yeah, arced the, reactor. The arced, the arced reactor. Uh, we're going to do the whole episode over. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to... Uh, <laughs>